some powerful truths we just sang together in those worship songs, weren't they? Then they bring a, a praise out of your heart, and those who are gathered with us online, we're excited that you're tuning in today. We, it's kind of neat to think about how the body of Christ is all gathered around our world. We get people tuning in in your homes and maybe in your car. We get people in the south parking lot and right here live. We praise God for technology that we can stay connected. Amen? Can I get amen to that? Oh, come on. Can I get an amen to that, huh? <laughs> I'm excited about today's message because there's so much good truth in here. And if you just get a little bit of it today, you might leave this room and you might be jumping up and down on your couch in your house after this message is over because Paul was having an incredible conversation with this church at Galatians and we're going to jump in here in a second. But let me just begin by saying this in regards to what I believe Paul is trying to tell us here. So our salvation in Jesus Christ doesn't need an upgrade. We don't need a new model. We don't need an improved version. What Christ did for us at our initial conversion was enough. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to keep earning it. There's another, not a better way to get at it. Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world, Revelation 12 tells us. And because of that, he set a plan into motion before human beings were ever even created that said, this is the plan for salvation. It's Jesus Christ. You need a redeemer, and so you need him, not anything else added to that. We don't need an upgrade. And so in our world today, and in our circles, we're finding people the same. We need an upgrade. We need to add to what Jesus has already done on the cross. I have some things that probably have been upgraded along the way. You guys remember when you used to have cassette player, players? Remember those? There are teenagers here that don't have a clue what this is. But there was a time when this was the cool thing to have, that you would have this and even a small version of it. And you would put a, 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 a tape in here and play it. And you could actually reverse it and, and forward it. Do you guys remember when we had, how many of you had palm palettes? Anybody have a palm palette back in the day? Okay, thank you, Mark. You and I did. But I, I had a palm palette too, and I even had a keyboard for my palm palette. Like I was on the cutting edge. I had a keyboard for my palm palette that you plugged in. This was an upgrade from the original. I remember when smartphones began to first come out. Anybody ever had this version of BlackBerry? Remember this one? It, got, it was so good and so quick at first, and then all it did after it kept getting more data on it, that little hourglass would spin and spin and spin. Anybody remember those days? Like, we always need an upgrade, an upgrade. Maybe you have a phone right now that all you see on it in your settings is this little red reminder that says, upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. Let me just pause and say this. Our salvation in Jesus Christ needs no upgrade. Can I get an amen in the room and in the couches across our, our world right now? Paul is reminding us of this, and he's telling his group at Galatia Church, listen, what Jesus promised, this eternal covenant of salvation was enough. Grab your Bibles, and I'll show you what I mean, and turn to Galatians chapter 3, and we'll read verses 19 to 29. Grab that, or open up your mobile device, and stand with me here, and even if you're able to in your homes, stand with me, and let's read this out loud. Read it so your children can hear it at home, and in the other auditoriums too. Galatians 3, verses 19 to 29 would you stand? All of us stand together as we read it. Ready? Read. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. 
The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party. But God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You may have a seat. Paul has a lot to say in regards to law. He's asking, if we don't need the law, then what's the purpose of the law? How isn't grace kind of, doesn't that compete against the law? Let me just start with this statement, and I think it'll kind of help us understand. The law wasn't meant to replace grace. It was meant to lead us to Jesus. Now think about that for a second. The law wasn't meant to replace grace. It was meant to lead us to Jesus. So then why then did the Old Testament and God's people have to follow the law and be circumcised? And now it feels like an abrupt change to say that we're saved by grace and is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So the Galatians actually thought they had Paul pushed into a corner. Okay, then why was the law there? We see it, the Israelites, they followed. They had a civil law. They had a moral law. They had a ceremonial law. And we're just going back and doing what people of God did. So why are you so bent out of shape to think that we, we, we shouldn't have to do the law to find or earn our way to Jesus? They thought they had him pushed in, into a corner. But God had a binding agreement with man that he could not retreat from. And it was this covenant that God had made prior to the law that was unbreakable. Let me just pause because this is very important to explain to you the difference between a covenant between people and a contract between people. A covenant is personal, it's relational, and it's always. So when God makes a covenant with his people, it's personal, interpersonal with him, it's relational, we have a, we have a relationship, and it's always. Once the agreement is made by God, you cannot edit it. You cannot, you don't need to upgrade it. It's a done deal when we have an eternal, everlasting covenant with God. A contractual agreement is a professional agreement that is law-based and has punitive consequences. In other words, you signed this contract when you came to work here, and your employer or your boss signed it too, or the owner of this company signed it, says, if you do these things and adhere to these, this contract, you will still work here. But if you choose to go against this contract, I have the permission to 
tear up this contract and fire you. It's a contractual agreement. But God is setting a covenant agreement with us that can never be changed. A contract says, if you do not perform, I have the right to let you go. And that's what law-abiding people are saying. Like, oh, I sinned and I didn't do this. I didn't do enough. I got to earn my way back to God. No. A covenantal agreement says we are family till the end of time with all the junk that comes along the way. Welcome to our world, huh? This is us. We are the family of God and praise God. We are messed up, but we're saved by his grace. And when a righteous man falls down seven times, he gets back up, not in our own power, but in the grace of Jesus Christ that lives in us. Can I get an amen for that? That's the covenant relationship that we have. You see, God cannot break a promise. Once his name is signed to it, he cannot break a promise. Nor rewrite the document once his name is signed on the line. In other words, he can't change. His blood has been stamped with our salvation. So law-driven people are saying to Paul, this is how it was in the Old Testament. And we had a covenant deal with God and so, Paul, you can't change it. You're coming in here and saying that, that, that it's salvation by grace through faith. And you can't change this plan that was made with the Mosaic Law. You can't change this, God. Or you can't change this, Paul. No way. Well, let's go back before the law. 430 years before Mosaic Law. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Hold your finger here in Galatians and, and turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is one of the saddest passages in Scripture. Because prior to this, God created. God made man. And there was a beautiful garden, perfect in every way. Man was perfect. Woman was perfect. There wasn't sin in, in the garden. And then in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve fell. And when they fell, this is the, the repercussions of sin. Look at verse 15. It says, I will put enmity, which is hatred, between you and the woman. Hatred, think about that. That wasn't there prior to sin. And between you, your offspring, the seed, and hers. Jesus, he will crush your head, and you, Satan, will strike his heel or bruise Jesus. And so there's sin that took place. God didn't show up, by the way, after this in the garden and find Adam. Where's Adam and Eve? In fact, they went and hid. We know that they hid. They were afraid. He didn't show up. And come to them with this lesson. Now that you sin, do all these things and then get right with me. He didn't have a to-do list. He didn't show up and he didn't throw a law out in front of them. He walked into the garden and what did he do? He offered grace. God walked in with grace and not law. In fact, one of the first statements of grace that we'll see, he removed the tree. People say, well, he kicked them out of the garden. Well, that was a good thing because there was a tree. If they would have eaten from the tree of life, if they would have eaten, they would have been locked into the eternal state of sin forever and never to be saved. And so he kicked them out of the garden. By the way, that tree shows up again in Revelation in our eternal state that the the streets of heaven are lined, are lined with this, this tree of life. And you know what happens when we walk down this tree meta, street metaphorically? We get to take a bite from the fruit that's there and we get locked into the eternal state of perfectness forever. That's the picture that's here. He didn't walk in with a to-do list. Now that you've done this wrong, get right with me by doing all these. No, he walked in and he offered grace. In fact, 
Look what he did for Abraham. Look at Genesis chapter 17 and verse 7. Genesis 17 and verse 7. Abraham, who comes along a little longer before the law. Genesis 17 and verse 7. Here's the covenant that was established with Abraham. Genesis 17 and verse 7 says this. I will establish my what? What's it say in your Bible? Covenant. With what kind of covenant? What's it say? Okay, let me ask this question. What part of everlasting isn't everlasting? What part of eternal isn't eternal? Everlasting. It doesn't say until you sin. And if you sin, you got to keep the law. He says, I will establish, in verse 7, my covenant with an everlasting covenant between me and you and your what? Descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. You know who those people are to come, the descendants? That's us. And he made a covenant, not only with Abraham, but he made it, Richard, he made it with you and me, bro. Praise God for that, huh? He, he, he passed that on. And so all of us who are born after that, and what kind of covenant? Everlasting covenant. When we trust in Jesus Christ by grace through faith, and Jesus signed his blood stain hand signature to the covenant of eternal life it is everlasting life forever we don't need to keep earning it or keeping it amen that's why Paul is looking they thought they had him backed into the corner but the truth is this think about Abraham okay let's think about Abraham Abraham's covenant by the way he's the prototype Gentile what I what I would say that he's the prototype center unbeliever He came from a bad family. He worshiped demon gods. He wasn't looking for God. He didn't find God. God found him. Abraham had nothing to offer him, but God breathed life into him. Do you remember? He was Abram. And it says that God came along, and what did God do? He changed his name from Abram to Abram Ham. And the the Hebrew Ha is life that was poured into him. And so he established this covenant Nothing, there was no good in Abraham. He didn't say, look what I did, God. I got all these good things and I kept the civil law and I kept the moral law and I kept the ceremonial law. Look at all these things that I've done. Here I am, God accept me. No, God came in and offered him grace and gave him eternal life and that covenant that he made is available to us today. So he's looking at this church in Galatians. He says, and by the way, God doesn't need our help. He needs faith. So they're looking and saying, and here's why this is important. 430 years before the Mosaic law was the Abrahamic life law was established. 430 years before a covenant was made that was made everlasting and every descendant of Abraham, including us, would have the same promise given to them that if they trust in Jesus Christ through faith and grace, they would be saved. That's us, amen? That's good news to us today. You see, salvation is not about achieving, but believing. But because... We have so many areas in our lives that we achieve. I mean, just think about it. How many of you have been part of races, and I've been part of a lot of races, and you've earned, and, and so you achieve, and so you get these ribbons, and I got some from marathons and triathlons and 5Ks and 10Ks, and I got 
they're here, and one of Hannah and I did together a, a half marathon, and it's like, God, look what I did. We have this achieve mentality, and it's like, here, here, I, I earned my way to you, God, and God's saying, listen, you don't have to achieve, just believe. We don't need to earn or keep to have salvation through Jesus Christ. So the covenant we need to pay attention to is the Abrahamic covenant. You see, the law leads to bondage in a heart of a slave. Grace leads to freedom in a heart of a son and a daughter. If you were able to, and I know we're not able to, but unless you're a doctor and you have DNA, if you were able to take the blood of Ann and I's children, Josh, Hannah, and Isaiah, and you were to test it, and then you were to test our blood, my blood, just say my blood, the same blood that's in me is in our children. And somewhere along that path, they would say, there's some brown and Bortner blood in those kids. You can't deny that, that they have the blood or the DNA of, of their dad and their mom. And so they aren't trying to become our children by trying to earn our way. They are our sons, and there is freedom and joy in knowing that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we have a relationship, and we are son and daughter, and that we aren't trying to earn our way to God and say, God, can I please be your son? God, look what I've done. Look, look, God, I've been a good boy. (laughs) Please, God. And God says, listen, Jim. When I cut you open, that same resurrection power blood that rose me from the grave lives in you. You are adopted. You are chosen. You are accepted. You are redeemed and justified through Christ. Come on, that's good news to us today. See, there's a different way to live when I know I'm a a child of God. I'm not waking up every day and think, oh, did I do something to lose it? It's not like me every day trying to climb Mount Everest and get to God. I'm already there through the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, the law often acts as a judge for us, too. And the more you're commanded to love him, the more you end up resisting him. I often say this to parents. Rules without relationship will lead to rebellion with your kids. So if you're a rule person in your home as a parent or dad or mom and you got these rules, you need to live by them. You want to be a child of my house, you got to do that. And so if you just have these rules and every day they're like, oh, I hope I do, I hope I please mom. I hope dad's not mad at me. It's like these rules and every day you, before you go to bed, you wonder, wonder how they're going to feel about me because of these rules. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. You see, when Christ saved us, not only is it a salvation covenant, it's a relational covenant that says, you will always be my son and daughter. And when you know that nothing can separate you from the love of God and that grace is offered to you at your worst and your best, you live differently. You live in freedom. You see, the law isn't contrary to the gospel. It anticipates the gospel. Let me explain that to you for a second. So if that's true, how is that true? 
The law isn't contrary to the gospel. It anticipates the gospel. You know what it tells me? When I look at the law, when I look at the Ten Commandments, or I read through the, the, the Torah, the Genesis, Exodus, Avidius, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, or some would call it the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, and I see the 613 laws that are there, or if I see the ceremonial laws that are there, and I begin to look at the Ten Commandments, here's what I know to be true. I need help! <laughs> and the law reminds me that There's got to be a gospel or something else that's going to close the gap because I can never get there. And it's through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. So the question is this. Let me ask this question. Why then do we have the law in the Bible? And why did God bring it about? The primary reason for the law, it reveals our need of Jesus. Well, let's just go back. So how is that true, Pastor Jim? Well, when Jesus came in the New Testament, he actually says that, that he raised the bar. He said, when he said, said, thou shalt not commit adultery, he said that anyone who thinks a lustful thought has committed adultery in their heart. Okay, how many of the adults in this room say, guilty? And if, and if you say you're not, you're lying. You just broke another commandment. And so there's just no way. There's just, it's impossible to keep the law. Like how many of you would say, I, we should ha- thou shalt not have any other gods before me. How many of you have taken that you've worshipped the possession or, or you like this dress or these shoes or, or this antique or this, or this vehicle and, and you found yourself maybe liking it too much and, and, and really wanting more than you really should. And what happens is that we can even place these things and break the Ten Commandments. Every single one of us will break the law. But the gospel says, listen, even if you do, Jesus died on the cross for that. Salvation in Christ does not rest on a law that we inevitably break. It rests on a promise that God cannot break. We can't earn our way to God. But on a promise that the work on the cross is enough, and Jesus finished what he started. Let me, let me describe it this way. Suppose you're going to run in a race. Let's just say it's a half marathon. And so if you've ever run a half marathon or walked a half marathon they have what they call sections of people. They say, if you're going to run this pace, a five-minute mile, there's groups of people, and they'll have a pace setter, a six-minute mile, a seven-minute mile, eight, nine, and ten. And so as you gather, you get in the groups of these people to run your race. But imagine if you're at this race, the speaker comes out, and he's on a bullhorn, or he's on amplification. He says, hold it, before you race, everybody, we're going to have the award ceremony now. And they walk out, And they grab a medal, and they take this medal, and they put it on you and said, here's your medal. You you, you achieved and you won. You've got what it takes. And and so all through, they grab medals, and they put them on all the runners. And so how would that change the way you run? If you know you've already got what you're trying to go get. How would that change the way you run if you know by just signing your name and having this relationship in this race that you already won, that we win. And that all we're doing is running in a winning posture. How would that change? Like, like how would you feel knowing like you're looking around like, we, we won! We won! Instead of, 
hope I can make it. <laughs> hope I can get to the end. Hope I can get to the end. God says, good job. That's the picture of salvation through Christ. We've already been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. We've already been given the ribbon. We've already been given the signature, this eternal everlasting covenant. And when we run this life, we win. We've won. We are more than conquerors. Amen. That's the picture that changes the way you live your life. We can't earn our way. So what does the law do? Here's what the law does. Here's why the law is good. It reveals God's holiness. You see, it tells us how far short we fall from a perfect God. And by the way, only perfect people make it into heaven. Whoa. So you're saying, Pastor Jim, I got to be perfect to get to heaven? Yeah, you do. How many of us, how many of you think you're going to make it? How can that be, Pastor Jim? I, I, I know what I thought. I know what I'm thinking right now. I'm ticked off at him. You know, I just... Hey, we had an argument on the way to church, and we didn't talk, and we got here, and now we pretended in worship that we love God. And it's really tough sitting here with my kids right now, and if you only knew what I was thinking, then it wouldn't be very good. And I'm sitting at home right now, and, I, and you know what? I'm tired of sitting at home, but this is the best thing for me to do. And you know, I really don't like what's happening in the world right now, and I'm ticked at everybody, but, but would you get into heaven? I mean, seriously. Do perfect people, if God requires, how is that possible if God only allows perfect people? That's the point of salvation. Listen to me. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is placed upon us. And when you and I die and stand before God one day and he asks, Jim Brown, why should I let you into heaven? I don't walk up and say, I ran all these races and I did a good job. It's not dependent on me. Know what I'll say? I'm getting into heaven because of what Jesus did, not what I did. And I am perfect in the eyes of God because when God looks at you and you and you and you and you and you and you watching via the internet, what he sees is the blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ and you are as white as snow. That's what makes us perfect and that's what gets us into heaven. We are perfect because of the righteousness of Jesus. Amen? Come on, you should be saying, because we're all doomed otherwise. So Paul's looking at this group and saying, you got it all screwed up. Paul's saying, listen, I already won. I already got the medal. It's already in my hand. And I'm running from the position of a winner instead of the position of a hoper. And when you know who you are in Christ and you have been saved, you live differently. So it reveals our holiness or God's holiness. It also reveals our sinfulness. The law condemns us because it arouses in us a desire to do the very thing we know is wrong, doesn't it? It does for me sometimes. I'm just telling you. Maybe it does it for you. you. You got it all together. Listen to this illustration. I think it's a powerful illustration of this truth. Several years ago, they built a high-rise hotel in Galveston, Texas, overlooking the Gulf of Mexico. 
They sank pylons into the gulf and built a structure out over the water. When the hotel was about to have its grand opening, someone thought, what if people decide to fish out of the hotel windows? So they placed signs in the hotel rooms, no fishing out of the hotel windows. Many people ignored the signs, however, and it created a difficult problem. Lines got snarled. People in the dining room saw fish flapping against the picture windows. The manager of the hotel solved all by taking down those little signs. No one checks into a hotel room thinking about fishing out of their windows. The signs, though well-intentioned, created the problem. That's what happened with the law. In a sense, it provokes us to sin, to do what we shouldn't do. Thirdly, here's what the law does. It discourages evil and gives governments a chance to rule wisely. Imagine if we didn't have governmental authorities, even during this time. Imagine if there weren't moral laws and civil laws in our world today. It gives parameters that we have to live by. And be quite frank, sometimes I don't like them. But I know if I don't do them, then I could be arrested. And so it's a picture, it gives government, the Bible says to pray for your leaders, the Bible says that God sets up in Romans 13 governmental laws that we should obey up until causing us to sin. Lastly, it reveals our blindness to our lostness. See, some of us don't realize how lost we are, but when we begin to see the law that, wow, if I don't keep the Ten Commandments and the principles that are there, that, wow, I am lost. I do lust. And, boy, I do covet. And, and boy, I, I, do, I have lied. And, oh, I do fall short. And so it reveals our lostness. And it's kind of like this. How many of you have ever had to go be tested for allergies and be proked and, or poked? And, 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 and how many of you have ever had gone through that process? And it's difficult. It's very difficult. Think about this for a second. When you go there, they put some irritants on your skin, and then they prick you, your skin with a needle. They're trying to provoke a reaction in you. And the reason why, because provoking an allergic reaction is the only way to reveal what allergies you have. In a similar way, that's what the law does. It pricks our skins and causes a reaction that reveals the condition of our sinful hearts so that we can see what's wrong with us. That's what the law does. We're sinners. The law doesn't save us. It reminds us. I love what Martin Luther said. He said this many years ago. The true function and chief and proper use of the law is to reveal to man his sin, his blindness, his misery, his wickedness, his ignorance, his hate and contempt of God. Death, hell, judgment, and a well-deserved wrath of God. That's what the law does. So always keep in mind, the law did come from God. So it had great purpose, not just in the fashion that many long to use it today. Being right with God is not about achieving, but believing in him. It can often lead to fear. See, people who want to be law earners and people who want to earn their way to God, it can lead to fear. Am I good enough? Did I do enough? What if I fell short? And you develop this fear mentality instead of this freedom mentality in Christ. 
And fear is nothing more than faith in the devil. <laughs> look at verse 23 as Paul moves on here with me. Just look at your Bible. It says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until faith that was to come could be, would be revealed. So the law, verse 24, was our what? What's your Bible say? Come, what's it say? Help me. Guardian, until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. We no longer need a guardian. So he's looking at this group. He's saying, listen, not only do you no longer need to follow the law, but listen, you don't even need a guardian. You're using the law as a guardian for you. The Holy Spirit will do for you what the law wants to. <laughs> Let me ask you a couple questions. Just, just in your mind, answer this question. Does the Holy Spirit guide you? Does the Holy Spirit convict you? Does the Holy Spirit teach you? Does the Holy Spirit give you new desires? Does the Holy Spirit keep an eye on you? Does the Holy Spirit conform us to the image of God? You see, the Holy Spirit now does what they're trying to make the law do for us. If you don't believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, then you are replacing him with a religion. And that's what happens with legalism and law. Religion begins to take the place of the Holy Spirit. How many times have you wanted to, to do something and then you get this, oh, better not. How many times have you been grieved over something? How many times have you had this yucky feeling knowing, I guess God doesn't want me to do it. How many times have you had this peace that passes understanding in the midst of the most difficult death kinds of moments because you knew that God was with you? That's the Holy Spirit. How many times have you opened up Scripture and it's been a difficult passage and it's like, all of a sudden, boo, it gets illumined in front of you. An illumination takes place. That's the role of the Holy Spirit teaching you. And Paul is looking at this group. I don't need the law to become more like God. I have the Holy Spirit who does that for me. And because he lives in me, I can live freely with Christ. You see, resurrection power produces the desires to do righteous deeds. Here are some ways that the law acts as a guardian for us. It acts as a curb, I would say, curb or guardrails. I remember one time we were taking Josh to Cleveland Clinic. We spent some time, a lot of time at um, Indy Hospital with him, with his achalasia when he was a kid. And it was really, really, really hard and challenging times for us and for him even more so. But we were coming back one time in the middle of the winter from Cleveland Clinic after one of many, many appointments and it had snowed in Cleveland. There was 10 to 12 inches of snow on the ground, and we were driving in our minivan at the time, and it was slushy on the road, and we wanted to get home. And on the left side of the highway, on our way home on the toll road, there was guardrail that was there placed because there was this big hill off the side of the road. And if that guardrail wasn't there, then you would find yourself down in the bottom of this culvert, and it could potentially take your life. And so I'm driving the minivan on the way home, and I got 
front-wheel drive got in the center of some grooves, and the snow pulled me clean over to the left, took me off the road. We were going 55 mile an hour, and I, this guardrail, I drove, banged off this guardrail. It felt like forever, 30 or 40 feet. It bounced me back in the road, and I just drove on home. Look at the damage later. But had not the guardrail been there, I would have fallen off. And that's the point of, of a curb, the law. It, it, it keeps us from the threats of consequences. And, and if we obey, we, 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 we aren't harmed in the way that we could be. And that's what it is. It's a curb. It's a guardrail. It's also a mirror, the law. It reveals how sinful our hearts are and what a truly righteous heart should look like. It's us waking up in the morning and doing a check and looking in the mirror and think, how's my heart? And sometimes we go, ooh, not so good. <laughs> Thank God for his grace. Please, God, forgive me. Not only forgive me, choose not to remember it anymore. And sometimes you look in the mirror and go, it's a reminder of where our condition with Christ is as we walk this life. It, it shows us how twisted we can really be. Martin Luther said this, the law made me hate God. The more the law showed me how I should be, the more I realized how I wasn't. <laughs> it also guides us. It perfectly reveals God's character to us. What do I mean by guide? Most of you have been spent time on the railroad tracks, but just picture a railroad tracks and using this analogy. There's a railroad tracks, and there's this engine that's driving on this railroad tracks. The railroad tracks dictates the direction. That's what the law does. That's how you should... That's where you should go. That's how you should live. But the law doesn't do it for you. It's just, it's a, it's a track that leads to a direction. Somehow this engine has to move. You and I have to move along these tracks. That's what the gospel does for us. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the living power of the Holy Spirit is the engine that drives us on this track to try to stay on the path that God longs us to be on. The law doesn't move us and save us. It's the gospel that moves us alone. You see, Jesus is the resurrection power in us. So the law is like a prison where we long for freedom, he's telling this group. A savior who can rescue us from being locked up. We no longer need a guardian. Let me give you a little culture here for a second. During this time when Paul was alive, wealthy Greek families had guardians that raised their children. They would serve as the child's protector and disciplinarian from the age of six to adolescence. It was a temporary role when he reached maturity, a period of time from childhood to adulthood. So the law was needed for discipline on a temporary basis until Jesus came. And so he's looking at them. You don't no longer need a guardian. You're an adult. It's like, it's like us looking at a 40-year-old man and saying, dude, put the pacifier down. You're no longer a kid. You don't need a guardian. You don't need a disciplinarian. You are a mature adult now. Act like it. So the law was needed to discipline on a temporary basis. Think about that. And those that go back to the law are immature, Paul is saying. Listen, don't go back. 
He's looking at this church in Galatians. He says, don't go back there. You're acting like a kid. You don't need a guardian. The Holy Spirit guides you. Why go back and let this law and act like, it's like going to the doctor's office. Ever went to the doctor's office and, 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 and you're filling out the form and, and you're, you're, you're a 50-year-old dude and you're sitting there and you're filling out and before you hand it in to the receptionist, you say, wait, wait, I gotta call my mommy so she can sign this. That's stupid! That's what Paul's saying. This is stupid! You don't need a guardian anymore! The Holy Spirit guides, he curbs, he directs, he convicts. You are saved through grace. See, once we were the devil's children living in sin, and that was our true spiritual heritage, but grace through faith has now transferred us into the family of God with a brand new identity. And the change of identity is for those that are in Christ Jesus. Let me just share a pet peeve that I have often with Christians. We spend so much time talking about what we do wrong. Yet the whole New Testament is showing us the position of a believer in Christ, what we can be and who we should be. The word saint is hardly used in our circles anymore. All we talk about is how we're sinful. Yet when you read the Gospels and you read the epistles, it's just this picture of redeemed and sanctified and justified and we have power in Christ. That's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, 31 to 39, he says, who can stand against you when Christ is for you? And then he says this, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And then he says this, that you and I are more than conquerors. He's telling us, look at that position. Live in that position. Quit going back and spending so much time and looking at your faults. Let's live as redeemed people of Jesus. My friend recently was sharing this story. He went ziplining with his son. My friend is 49 years old, and he wanted to spend some time with his 18-year-old son on this, he would say, extreme zipline. So he said, I'll do it. Little did my friend know that it was very extreme. There were places that they were 40 to 50 feet in the air, and they had a safety hook on them, a link on them, plus they had a vest that kept them in, and you literally had to jump and free fall from these places. My friend said that he feared heights. And so for him to go there, it was just a chore to climb up and stand there. He said, so for the first part of the, the day, all he did was hold on sometimes to the cable itself that had a safety link and he had a harness and he said his hands were blistered. He said all the while his son was jumping, free falling, going upside down and he said he was having so much more fun than I was. He said I was scared to death. I was living in fear. He said then I began to realize that that little safety link there is there to protect and keep me from falling. He says, I'm 49 years old. And he said, I soon realized if I want to enjoy this zip lining, then I got to trust in this safety link. He said, so I just decided I'm going to trust in this safety link. He said, the next jump, he said, I was 40 feet in the air. He said, I jumped out. Woo! He said, I looked like a crazy man. And he said, I enjoyed it so much more. Why did he do that? 
because he trusted in the safety link. And when Paul wrote Romans 8, 31 to 39, you know what he was saying? Listen, he said, we have a safety link in Jesus Christ and nothing could ever stand before us. And when we walk through this life, we should not fear. Many of us walk in fear and we are holding on to our own strength and our own plans and thinking that's more secure when in reality we can have a conqueror's mentality and a conqueror's mentality says, let's go baby because Jesus got my back. Amen? Come on, amen? That's the picture Paul is saying. But how many of you are trusting in your own strength, your own plans? You got blisters from fretting and holding on instead of saying, I'm going to jump from a conqueror's mentality and in Christ, I am protected. And in Christ, I am free to fly. You see, that same mentality should be brought into leadership. Here's what I know if you take that mentality. Leaders lead. Leaders never lead from a position of fear. Why? Because our safety link is in Jesus Christ. And the last time I checked, he will never leave us nor forsake us, even if we're 40 feet in the air. Leaders lead from a mindset of what God can do, not from what might happen to you. A conqueror's mentality to say, oh, I might shoot my eye out. No, it's like, what can God do through this and through me? How many of you are making decisions in your life right now based upon what might happen to you instead of what God can do for you? Some of you are trusting in more your own plan than the safety link of Jesus Christ who promises to never leave you nor forsake you, who promises that no one can stand against you, who promises that he will be with you and secure your salvation to the end. Leaders lead from a taking ground mindset instead of a holding ground mindset. How many of you are in survival mode? Let's take ground. Let's take back ground. The enemy has stolen from us. And I often say this, and my family has heard this a million times, but I I often stand and say, no, enemy, you're not going to take any ground from the brown house. Not on my watch. Just go somewhere else. It's not happening here. But how many of you are leading from a taking ground mindset as opposed to a no losing ground? Leaders must always remember that with Jesus, we are in a no-lose situation. No-lose. Like, to live is Christ and to die is gain. There it is. There it is. Like, wrap that around your mind. Leaders lead from a position of a conqueror. We are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. I want to say, let's go, baby. God, you call me to it. You'll get me through it. You're going to hold me. I'm going to enjoy this ride. I don't need a guardian because the Holy Spirit's with me. You are my protector, my provider. Let's go. And leaders must always remember that no one or nothing can stand against God. Not even COVID-19 can stand against Jesus Christ. Paul closes this passage and says that we're children of God and that we should remove the prison clothes (laughs) 
And that, that old life should be gone forever. You and I made exchange of direction and position and eternity when we came to Christ. We didn't earn it. You have received it because of the free gift of grace and the blood shed by Jesus Christ on the cross. So strip yourself of the grave clothes. Let loose of your hands on the guy wire and trust in the saving grace and protection of the safety link of Jesus Christ and live, truly live, really live. Salvation doesn't need an upgrade. When you trusted in Jesus, you received all that you will ever need to be his son or daughter. You will never get a red notice on the setting bars of your life saying that you need an upgrade and you must earn your way. Jesus did enough, and when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. See, I'm going to ask you a question before we sing this song. Are you a slave to fear? Or do you walk in freedom? You see, I believe we should never be slaves to fear. Why? Because I am a child of God. And children of God are held tightly in the hands of the safety clip of Jesus Christ. And even if we go down, we get to face our Savior. And that is the greatest gift we'll ever receive. Lord, help us today. God, help us, Lord. God, just help us to be able to take these truths and realize that we are redeemed and justified. And we don't need to be a slave to fear. But we are children of God, and that's a big deal in our world today. So help us to walk and believe and trust and live that way, God. Even in the midst of these uncertain times, God, you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.